1: Welcome to this episode of My Streets to the Pulpit. We're going to talk about something that plagues every community. We're going to talk about addiction. <clears throat> We're going to talk about um, the selfishness of addicts, the blindness of the pushers. We're gonna talk about the the families, the effect of the families and forgiving them. We're also going to try to take a tour in the minds of addiction from, from every perspective. Um, so here we go. This show is about addiction. We're going to talk to former users. We're going to talk to former pushers or pushers. We're going to talk to the family of users so that we may get an unedited version or tour of what goes on in the mind of these brothers and sisters. We're going to discuss the effects that it have on them and their family. Why are addicts so selfish? Why are the pushers so blind? Why are the families so unforgiving? We can forgive them. A little bit of understanding will bring some closure. So without further ado, let's get right into it.
0: Good evening. Good evening.
1: So, here we go. We're going to talk about these uh this issue that plagues our community.
0: Man, where do you start? Um
2: You know, when you think about addiction, you you can have in any, any type of addiction, you know, um so Mama, I guess, I guess Mama. What we, what we're gonna focus on Mama. Are about,
0: uh, Mama.
2: addictions of Mama. of drugs or alcoholism. Mama. Um is am, am I tracking? Yes, you are. Okay. All right. So um for me personally, uh I I have to um from the aspect of Dealing with alcoholism Which is an addiction And, and that, that My family That hits very close to home um, Both parents grand, Grandfather um, Died of cirrhosis I have uncle that's suffering from, from cirrhosis Right now um, And I I Escaped it narrowly but yet, I did. Um, I grew up in, you know, in under, primarily under my grandma's care. But when I would visit my mom, um, I had access access to all kinds of all the alcohol that you could think of because she she drank. Um, so I started drinking at a very young age, thirteen to be exact. Um, and and that followed me throughout my college years. So you know, 6 7 years uh drinking heavily and constantly. Um so I, I thank God that, you know, somehow I made it through and and not fell victim to alcoholism, but I understand the impact of it from, you know, from the perspective of being being a child of a parents who are addicted to alcohol and also being um you know, close to, to traveling on that same
1: road themselves. Good. So, what made you
0: not? What made me stop?
1: What made you not continue or yes, stop, I guess? I, I looked at what it did to
0: my mother.
2: You know, it, you know, and, um, I saw what it what it did to, to her and then in in turn the effect that it had on um on our family from you know, from her just from her drinking alone. Um and I didn't I didn't wanna be like her. I mean that may sound bad but I didn't wanna be like her. I can remember um going over to her house you know, early in the morning because she worked third shift and she would get off in the morning and, you know, I would go over there and and check on her or whatever. And, um, she reeked, she stank, you know, uh, it came out of her pores and it changed her skin. It changed the way she looked. So not only did it impair her, you know, her mental state, but, Physically you could see it weighing down on her. And you know, I didn't I couldn't I didn't wanna put myself in that position. You know, I didn't want to be her.
1: Right. So I guess. From from my perspective, it was you saw you yourself the effects of it. Can you remember any time or a specific time that stand out to your head of when you encounter when the way she acts or anything like that
2: like when she was drunk
1: yeah oh
2: man yeah it 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 was all the time and and multiple encounters um You know, and and honestly, that was detrimental to our relationship. Like I, I haven't had a conversation with a conversation now, um, a productive or a civil conversation with my mother in eight or nine years because of it. Um, and it was. It was to the point where, you know, she she drank so much, um, it changed her, and we argued about everything all the time. It didn't matter. I mean, we we could argue simply um, over the color shoes I was wearing, and you know, they not her feet, but it was stuff as simple as that, and um. It made her controlling, and the unfortunate part is I kind of felt like it made her also shameful and bold in the same sense. I don't know if that even makes sense, but, um, you know, she it was almost like she, she was trying to drink her sorrows away, but when she, in the process of doing that, she got very bold and just hateful. Um, to people who, who were around her Anyone Okay so,
1: okay, so with, her drinking, with her drinking Do you think that it, it Caused some type of insecurity Or she was drinking to cope, or Something in her head Like what do you think Prompt the drinking in that
2: Now I, I think that her body depends on it To be honest with you Now Now um, you know, when when people back in the day, you know, when people joined the army, you know, I think that um drinking was a part of the army life. And um so when she joined, I think that at while she was in the army, that that's just what they did. You know, they went to work all day and um when they came home, they had a, they had a cold beer. And, you know, they they kept going Or a a drink of some sort And so um, While she was in the military, I think it was a way of life But then um, Later on, you know, after after Things happened in life And, you know, my parents got divorced When I was seven, they got married When I was uh, two And divorced when I was seven So um, I think that that Changed a lot And, you know, made her indulge Just a little bit more and over the years, you know, different things happening in life. I can't tell you what she's been through because I don't know. But, yes, I do feel like the alcohol was a coping mechanism. Um, my grandpa died when I was in middle school. He died at a, what I consider a very young age. He died when he was 60. Um, and he he died from drinking. He actually literally drunk himself to death. That in itself took a huge toll on my mom. I don't know what type of relationship they had, but she changed after after that. Um, and she drank more. So definitely coping
1: mechanisms. Okay. So now I wanna say this from a from a veteran standpoint it is not like the way of life. It's something to do when you're when you're in the military. Uh if it was something that was necessary, it would have been issued in our in our bag. Hmm? It's part of our uniform.
2: Well
0: so, I I yes. just say that, that because
2: defense. yeah, well it seems like man, don't get me wrong, I, I didn't serve but it just seemed like, you know, they they had a lot of military friends, and so maybe that was what they did, but I guess, and then you have to look at it. When you're young and you go into the Army, you have access because you you have access to things you don't have as a civilian, and they are more affordable when you're in the Army. One, you have a steady paycheck too, when you live on post or you go on post for shopping, whether you go to the PX, BX, or just fee shopping center types, um, you 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 can buy alcohol. You don't pay taxes on it, so it makes it a little more easily accessible, I would say. Um, and again, that was what they did. You you got off, you had a drink. You may go, you know, she would go to the NCO club and they would drink there, and then they would go home and you know, that was what they did, and maybe it was not um, limited to, or maybe it wasn't the Army way of life, maybe the Army was their job, and this was what they did when they got off. You know what I'm saying? Um, But that was, you know, and maybe it was just their age. They were young. She had kids when, you know, she started having um, kids at 22. So, You know, hey, I guess maybe she didn't get to experience all of the drinking and stuff before having kids. So, unfortunately, we were witness to this and um, ultimately
1: affected by it. I'm sorry to hear that. Let me put you on hold. We have another (laughs) call on the line. Hello? Hello. Who am I speaking with?
3: This is Jen.
1: Okay, Jen, we're talking about addiction. We're talking about addicts and pushers. To make it clear, we're talking about addictions of all kinds, be it gambling, sex, pornography, drugs, alcohol, what have you. So it's not limited.
3: Okay. Um, well, I have experience in all areas as far as having been. I'm a recovering addict. Um, I I have dealt in the past, and I am also the child of a recovering alcoholic. So kind of have a viewpoint on, on a little bit of everything.
1: Okay. What and made you decide to Start using. Well, if you don't mind me asking, what was your drug of choice?
3: Um, I was an IV using heroin addict.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: And um, it started with pain pills from a a really bad car accident and surgeries, and um, so my my way is not uncommon, but it's I didn't I didn't start to party, I didn't start um, for any uh. Selfish reason at the time, it it tur- just turned into that. Um, so I uh, I got stuck with the um, the physical addiction to like the um, the opiates, the chemical dependency, and then it went from there, kind of spiraled mm. from there.
1: Okay. So how did it affect your family? With your addiction? I tore them
3: apart. My addiction tore them apart because it was, obviously, it's very dangerous. Not that any addiction is really safe, but um, when you start to use things um, intravenously, it it intensifies, it heightens the chance of overdosing, of diseases, of all that stuff. And not too many people walk away from that unscathed. Um, so there was a lot of... Um, me not coming home, no contact, disappearing for days to weeks at a time, Uh, ended up on the streets a couple of times. I ran, you know, streets in bad neighborhoods, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, things like that. And, and it was all, um, you know, with no contact. Yeah. And, and the very little contact I did give them was, I was high or I was completely strung out and, they were scared for me, so it caused us to argue, caused them to argue, and ultimately led to my father having a heart attack.
1: Mm, I'm sorry to hear that. Thank
0: you. Now,
1: if you don't mind, in one mm-hmm. of those episodes, if you will, mm-hmm. because I do treat addiction as those of disease, so I will call it the episode when you have to, when you're out there, if you will. Right. So during one of these episodes, is it mentally safe for you to give us a walk through or a rundown of how a day would be?
3: Sure. Um thank you, thank you so you. my day yeah. typically
0: yeah. um at my
3: at the worst part of my using was to wake up and get high and then when you well, actually, it was to wake up and get well so you could function enough to make your money. Because, like I said, at one point, at my lowest point, I was on the street. So I, I, I had already blown through working, being a, a, an, um, a functioning addict, as people like to call them. Those don't exist. Um, so I you know, quit my jobs or walked away just wanting nothing but to get high all day so after getting well you would go through now you have to find your next source of income to be able to go get high and it whatever it was whether it was stealing or you know coming up with some crazy you know scheme of some sort to hustle somebody or whatever it was or you just you know continuously get yourself into debt with the dealer or you become the dealer and it's all about chasing that next high for me um i had a lot of pain physically mentally and emotionally so i stayed on that that focus of i need to be high and i couldn't get high Mm. enough my tolerance skyrocketed and i was doing you know about two grams in a five to six hour period. Oh, so, gosh. um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. It was, I, luckily I, I by the grace of God am just over two years clean. So I am walked away from it so far. So, but mm-hmm. yeah, it, it got pretty bad, but it was all about chasing that, not wanting to feel and any emotion that was about to come in my way was about to get blocked by any means necessary. Because I just didn't, I couldn't handle what life was giving me at the time.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, so congratulations
3: now. on being clean. I'm Excuse sorry. me.
2: I said, well, congratulations on being clean for two years. That's Thank commitment. you very much. Thank you very much. Um, husband, if you don't mind, I have a question. Good. Um. So my question, um, is when you were in the, in the, um. Process or in the, the state where you were just chasing your next high, your mental capacity, did you ever have moments of, of clarity to where you thought, where you knew that, okay, I, I got to do better? Like, this is, I cannot keep living this way. I have to. Okay, okay. The
3: last, I would say the last year that I was using, I cried myself to sleep almost every night. And I my the end result what actually got me clean was I got arrested for a sales charge, nonetheless,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and um, it it was a blessing. And to this day, I'll still tell anybody that that day that I got arrested was probably the first time I took a deep breath in years. Um, wow. Towards the end, it was very difficult not to see how badly I wanted my life to change, how badly I wanted to get back to what I, what I was before that accident. I, you know, I, I, I worked for a cardiac group or a very well-respected cardiac group on Long Island and I had gone to school and I was engaged and I, I you know, I was, I was even pregnant before my accident. And when that happened and I wanted to hide from all of that, um, that's where my, my, my mental state just collapsed. There was mm-hmm. no truth to my life. I was not speaking the truth. I wasn't living the truth. Everything was a severe fabrication um, to the point where I started to believe my own stories because I would get so into it. And it took me a minute to be like, wait a minute, that's just the story I'm telling this person. I don't really have to go there. Like my parents, I would tell them I was going out to lunch with people from high school and this and this and that, and and then I would get the car and I would get money, and I would get everything else and years It wasn't until years later that my dad finally said to me, it wasn't that we believed you, we just weren't going to fight with you anymore because you were so so convinced that that's what the truth was, and we knew better, especially like I said, because my father was my my father's actually sober for 19 years he got sober in 2000 mm-hmm. so um, he kind of knows and, and I'm very much like him especially in this respect so he, he knew that I was bullshitting him and he just didn't want to fight with me anymore but my mental state was gone towards the end was when I finally started to I can't do this anymore and and, and it wasn't that I wanted like it, I never took the, the mind frame of I, I wanted to die that was never like a, a way out for me I needed mm-hmm. to stop I just didn't want to be, but I had to deal with the withdrawals. I didn't want to be sick. So there was that Mm. that struggle of I'm physically dependent on it now, and I have done so much damage to myself, to my family, to my career, that I wasn't going to get sober and look at my life sober. I was on the streets. I was, you know, I, I had made a mess. So there was that struggle for almost a year I'm doing my for
1: me. Okay, so I have a question. Yes. From from my understanding, it's a constant struggle, a constant battle. Mhm. How do you resist, or how do you continue to fight for your sobriety?
3: Um. Well, aside from having a pretty great circle of people that love me unconditionally and i mean like unconditionally my my parents that they never gave up on me tough love yes but they never walked away i have friends i have family that have helped me see my worth without shoving it down my throat or making me feel like an after-school special or they they took it slow with me and on top of having people to support you when you have those bad days where you just, you know what, screw this, I want to get high. You have these people you can say, I'm having a really bad day. I don't know why I'm off, but I'm off. And they listen. And then on top of that, there's everything that I've lost, I will not lose again. And I have some physical reminders, daily reminders of just how bad it got and how bad it can get and I know I will not come back if I go out again. I'll die out there. So uh-huh. there's um there's just I have I have scars, I have you know, just every day I have something in my face that reminds me that even though there's that instant gratification of I don't have to feel this. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do this I can just get high and forget it all, and for that split second or those few minutes at that, that high last, I'm, I'm safe in my head, in my little bubble, in my world. I now have to deal with everything that comes with it. I have to get, I have to go through kicking all over again. I have to go through possibly my parents walking away for good because their health can't handle it. My brother, mm-hmm. who hasn't spoken to me since 2011 because of it, so there's, there's things that are just not worth losing relationships, friendships. Absolutely. My life.
1: <laughs> I think no. that it's over. It's Look, I mean, I personally, from the outside looking in, and from a, only a victim standpoint, No one knows exactly what goes on through an addict's mind. So tonight we're going to explore. We're going to be very transparent. We're going to be very clear and open. So that way we can help someone else get through this. We can help some family recover. I'm and I, I appreciate your story, all Thank the you. success, and and continue. Thank you. But I have one more, like, major question. You said you What's also that? wanted to sell it. Yes. Right? Yes. How did you not get half your flyer?
3: Um, because I didn't sell my drug of choice, I I, I I dabbled in having a little bit here and there. More of a private stash, I was willing to part with because I was making money off of it to be able to go buy more. But I purposely stayed away from my DOC to focus on something I would never do because I have I have a very um, bad heart, so uppers were not my thing. So selling uppers. I stayed away from my my mm. supply and I made money. A lot of money.
1: Wow. So for the listeners, would you mind clarifying what uppers are?
3: Um, mess, coke. Well those were my two biggest ones.
1: Mm. So for, for of, who, of
3: of some kind.
1: Okay. For those family members who fact that their loved ones an addict how do you suggest they go about approaching not necessarily accusing but approaching especially from a I want you to get help or I want to help you sample
3: well that's actually a very good question because I had both I had one normie parent my mother was not an addict but came from a line of addicts, my father was. My mother, bless her heart, she tried to research everything that I was going through to be able to say, so they say do this or they say try this. It didn't work. What worked was my dad sitting me down and basically, what do you want to wear to your funeral? Like, because that's where you're going with this. This is not going to end well for you. Honesty, without accusing But explaining just how bad it is Because when you're in the middle of it You don't see how bad it is You see that your pain is gone That's it That's all you wanted That bad feeling to go away Whether it's for a minute, an hour, or a day That's all you think about So Mm -hmm. When you have somebody that comes to you saying I know that you have pain But we need to do this Otherwise it's only going to get worse or you're going to lose us. When my father came to me crying one day and told me that he was sorry that he passed his addiction gene to me, that about killed me. And when I said to him that I'm sorry that he had his heart attack, he looked at me and said, well, yeah, like that's pretty much what brought me to my knees. That honesty right there was what did it for me. Because I didn't realize When you're not speaking When you're just letting us go through our thing And and okay well they don't want to talk to me about it And I don't know what to say Then we don't think we're affecting nearly as much as we really are Mommy, We I
0: don't, don't see it
1: we So are is it best to it. have Ultimately like a sit down like And, and, and let it out Like look this is hurting me. You know, when you're out here, we worry when you're, every time we turn on the news and, or read the paper and there's a, a, a uh, dead body being found, you know, yes. we think it's you. Well,
3: that, see, we got that too. Um, a lot of, uh, I waited for that phone call. I was terrified to answer the phone because I swore it was going to, you know, this next phone call was going to be that phone call. Um, I can't speak for anybody else because not everybody responds to honesty the way that I do. But for me, a massive intervention with people that haven't been around, like aunts, uncles, things like that. Yes, they love you, but you have no idea what I went through. Not even close to going to work. My ears are going to shut off, and I don't care what you have to say. You have no idea. People that know my mother, my father, my close friends, my family that have been there and witnessed that accident or witnessed that rape or witnessed that beating and you saw what I've gone through, burying my son, all these things that I had to deal with, you were there for that, so you know the pain that I'm trying to run from and you want to honestly sit down and tell me you think there's another way, I'll listen, I might not follow what you say right away, but every time you tell me, I break down more and more until I finally my hands go up. And that's exactly How many times what happened.
1: did, did you go hmm. into rehab? Was it an in, in and out Four. type thing, or
3: no? The um, in well, where I got clean, they because um, I left the state of New York to get clean, and they have these little detoxes. I tried that because I tried to, you know, get around having to sit down and face an actual rehab in the program and all that. Um, that did nothing for me because it, it got me over the hump of being sick. I still felt like crap because I had so much in my system that it took months to get it out completely. I was still peeing dirty after two weeks. Excuse my language, but after two weeks, I was still having a dirty UA. Um, so that, that does nothing. When I finally sat down, and went into a rehab, into a program, that's what my relationship with God, my relationship with my sponsor, and like-minded people is what helped me because I was able to say, wow, you really know what I went through, so you know how I feel, so you know this. We had one teacher, one of the times I tried to get clean, and she had never been around addiction not a day in her life. Nobody's family, her, nothing. And I actually had to go back and make an amends because I was so rude to her. Because how are you going to sit there and read out of a book and tell me how I feel? It's, it's a very dark hole you go down when you're addicted to something. Your brain takes you to places that
0: you could never imagine.
3: and Mm. you're willing to do anything to hide from that. Wow. You can't tell me, if you haven't experienced half of what I've been through, you can't tell me how to get over it. But now if you know, that's a different story.
1: Okay. That's that's very true. It's hard to kind of teach somebody or tell somebody if you haven't gone down that road because you can't relate. Right. So I guess in in my head it's it's not as easy as everyone make it out to be. And people are so quick to, to judge and think that only you can only be an addict to Drugs or to alcohol But there's many more And there's everything At the same time that you can be Addicted to Right
3: Addiction primarily that... Is about hiding your from your pain So however it is you choose to hide from it Or run from it or block it out Whether it be food, gambling, sex, drugs Alcohol Hmm.
2: So I think the one thing that um that she pointed out that does not at all get enough attention is the way in which her addiction came about. She was she was physically injured in an accident and was on a prescription drug, did I if I heard you correctly, um in Became dependent upon that, and then, of course, to continue with numbing the pain and um, trying to escape emotional issues, she then turned to heroin. Is that did I hear you correctly
3: in saying that that yes, ma'am, primarily I actually yes, I I started with opiates. And Mm -hmm. when I went back, they had put me on like a six month refill and I was on everything from morphine to Vicodin, Percocet, fentanyl patches, name it, and I was on it. And when I went back for my, my checkup and my refill six months later, the doctor looked at me and said, oh, you shouldn't have been on it for this long to begin with. And he took me off of it without batting an eye and I had already had the chemical dependency, had never been high before, not even on all of that because I took it exactly how I was supposed to. But it was when I stopped that I realized you could get sick.
0: Mm-hmm. And it
3: spiraled from there. And then somebody came up to me and said, this is cheaper and does the same does the same thing, essentially. So I tried wow. it and went from there. But, yeah, this was all from prescription pain meds, given mm-hmm. and taken the way a doctor told me to. hmm
1: So, it sounds like to me that it is without placing the blame someplace else, you can't easily say that if it wasn't for the doctor overprescribing you or what have you, that you wouldn't have been addicted.
3: If the doctor was honest with me and told me what the risks were, I could have possibly managed it better. Um, obviously it was my choice to take it to kick it up a notch <laughs> but the, the 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 pills, the way that he took me off of it knowing that there's a chemical dependency attached to it, as soon as I got sick, I immediately was like, Oh, this is not I'm not gonna let this happen. No, 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 no. So I went to the streets and found I started finding them on the street, still taking them exactly how my doctor told me because again, I didn't know you could get high. I only knew you could get sick. So had the doctor been honest with me, I feel that there would have been a better chance. I could have handled it different, maybe went into a detox to come off of them the right way, or we could have discussed him weaning me off of them, something. Um, that's how Suboxin got started was to take people off of the prescription pills. So why didn't we discuss that? You know, things like that. Right. And I don't
2: think it's necessarily... About blame displacement I'm just saying the reality Of of her story Is It started with A prescription To help her Heal from her injury From the accident You see what I'm saying So it wasn't not, not trying to Make excuses or put blame Just the reality of Um yet another addiction, because we are talking about drug addiction, but, you know, there are multiple types of drugs, um, and it seems like now, more than ever, medical prescriptions are leading that, like, by far, um, simply because, uh, you know, that can be for another show, but the lack of knowledge or the lack of information given to patients about the drugs that they're taking. And then, you know, like for her, once she felt sick, you know, that was yet another thing she had to deal with and she physically couldn't. So it was, sounds like, you know, at the time it may have been easier for her to just, you know, just stay on it and, Get it elsewhere And um, and then it just spiraled out of control from there
3: I actually have a friend That if you do If you take Suboxone the right way Suboxone is an opiate blocker for those who don't know um, It blocks the opiate receptors to your brain So you cannot get high um, If you were to take Pills while you're on it um, If mm-hmm. you do it the right way you should You should be on it You elevate to where you're comfortable Then you level out for a, about a month or so, and, and you get over that hump, and, and the, you, your body starts to detox very slow, very slowly, and then you start to come down. If you do it the right way, you're on and off of it within six months. She's been on it for 12 years. It also depends on the kind of doctor you have. I went to a pain specialist who knew my entire story and still put me on six different types of opiates, and within two weeks, I hung myself. I, I, meaning I, I, I messed it up I started eating my fentanyl patches And getting high And then she looked at me and said You have drug seeking behavior And she snatched me off of all my stuff as well So it, wow. it really If they're out for the money And they don't take insurance And again I'm not trying, I'm not trying to place blame I, I did this all on my own But that doesn't help either
2: Right right. In
3: 12 years she's on something That should, should have been out of her Within 6 months
1: So, I guess in everything you said, do you you do believe that there were some selfish acts?
3: Absolutely.
1: I let me ask you a question about (laughs) that. Yes.
2: I'm sorry to cut you off. You can go, and then I'll ask. No, that's okay. Okay. So when when we talk about selfishness and um when you're you're in it and you you need it in those moments do you think that you were being selfish when you would have moments of clarity do you think that you were being selfish um and do you feel like now looking back if your family thought you were selfish do you have like any i guess ill will or you know like do you feel a certain kind of way when they call you or if they call you selfish for using
3: I know because of the kind of person that I am and the way that I was raised exactly when I was being selfish Mm. there was a point where I felt that I was justified for being selfish I felt that I had a reason to act this way even though I knew what I was doing was wrong, um, wow. it still felt like I can handle that later. Now, when I was the first time I had a decent amount of time clean, I was getting married, and we were at the engagement party. And I went to get up from the table, and I went to grab my purse out of habit. I'm, I'm a female, so I you know I was reapply my lipstick or whatever. And my father grabbed both of the, the arms of the chair he was sitting in, and you just saw everything in him tense up. And he gave me this look, and at the, for my first thought was, how dare you? I have been clean for a year now, and it, I had mm-hmm. to stop myself and say, I did that. I'm the reason he's reacting like that because he's right. In the past, every time I took my person to the bathroom, don't expect to see me for at least a half an hour
4: because mm-hmm.
3: I was going to get high. And to this day, there's still times where I'll do something and my parents will kind of look at me like, Ooh, all right. All right. Let's, let's, you know, let's not do this. Let's not go disappear with the phone for an hour. And because that, it brings up bad memories for everybody.
0: So I yeah. have no will.
3: Like I said, I, I ruined a marriage because of it and, or over it. And I have no ill will whatsoever. And that's, that's one of the things that I like about the program is when they teach you to make an amends, sorry doesn't mean anything. The words sorry mean nothing when you're an addict because that's all you say. I'm sorry I was high. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry I was strung out. I'm sorry that I did this. And then you just keep doing it again. An amends is correcting your behavior. It's righting your wrong. Mm-hmm. however it is. Whatever mm-hmm. it is I have to do to prove to you that I truly from the bottom of my heart never meant to hurt you because it was never about you. It's not about you, your parents. It's not about your siblings. It's not about your significant other. You're not thinking about them when you're getting high. You're thinking about you. So you didn't do Mm -hmm. this to hurt them. You did this because you thought you were helping you. You thought you Mm. were doing something for you. So how do you show them that this wasn't about you and I'm sorry that I hurt you?
1: Wow. So my question Um, is this. Why, and not you specifically, but why are addicts selfish?
3: Because we don't see past what we're doing. Because your mental state is so focused on what you're doing and the fact that you're willing to do whatever it takes to get that they don't think about the people that are directly affected. It's like when somebody commits suicide, they're not thinking that they're leaving behind a family or loved ones, people that actually care about them. They're thinking they're hurting and they want that hurt to stop. Wow. The last time I drank, the very last time I drank, all I kept saying was, I don't care how I look. I just want the feeling to go away. I want that pain to stop. And that was the only way at the time I could see. Right in front of me, what was going to quickly stop it? I couldn't see past what I was doing to the people around me that it was hurting. You just don't. It, That's deep. It's just in. What? I'm sorry. What?
1: That's deep. Oh, well. Yeah, I think so. It's, it's not true necessarily one of those things where. So it's not necessarily one of those things where it's it's definitely not intention because you're you're not thinking about them you're thinking about you your pain and how to deal or cope because essentially that's the reason why you're you're doing so you're you're not doing right. it you know out of spite i'm i'm not going to you know smoke this just crack or snort this cocaine or shoot this heroin out of spite. It's I'm trying to cope with whatever. Right, it's, it's it kind it's, it's along the lines
3: it. of when you. Ha- Sorry, go ahead. What?
1: It it numbs it essentially.
3: Yes, that's exactly what it does. It it's like I again I can speak for myself, <clears throat> being on opiates, especially heroin you um your body doesn't secrete fluids, so your biggest thing is you are not going to cry. you don't feel, and on top of not feeling, you stop caring so it's not that you don't care like i i don't give I don't give a crap about you or what you think. you just kind of get into that hmm, okay, well, there's that then isn't it It, it kind of takes you to a place where those those demons that you're fighting, those battles that you are tired of waking up and dealing with every day don't seem so bad because you're not, you're just, eh, okay. But now if you were sober and you're dealing with like being homeless, when you're getting high, it really doesn't matter. You need a place to nod out, that's about it. So go curl up in a ball somewhere, sleep your hour or two, get up and get high and do it all over again. When you're sober and you have to deal with that, you have to think of where you're going to shower, how you're going to eat, where you're going to eat, where you're going to lay your head, is it safe, is somebody going to rob you, what about all your stuff? These are things you don't want to think about. So when you get high and you get, it numbs you to, meh, it happens. It's like when you have a, you know, that, that selfishness of, and I, and I, With all due respect, I say this to to the people that that have children, younger ones, if you're working and it's their birthday, let's say, and you don't make it home in time to do something like super special that they wanted to do, like go out to dinner or something, you're not seeing that you're hurting your child by not being there. You're seeing what's right in front of you, which is, I got to work late tonight. It's along the same lines, only super intensified. You're not seeing that you're affecting all these people because your focus is what's right in front of you. And that's, unfortunately, that's how we hurt the people that we love when we're getting high, because that stays all day, every day until you stop. Wow. That focus that's right in front of you.
2: So I have a a question, and, um, you know, and then, you know, we apologize first and foremost for kind of putting the spotlight on you, but I think that your story is very... Um, is very enlightening and, and eye opening for us. Like earlier in the call, like I, I come from a family who of, of alcoholism is heavy in my family. My parents and grandparents and then um, mm-hmm. even when we talk about drug addiction, you know, my, my brother drug of choice was cocaine. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm uh, one of the family members who like I I could have been one of your family members who would have done anything to see you survive and to see you kick it and to see you just thrive and in the greatness that God has for you. So my question um, for you, and you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but my question for you is when you sit here and you look back at the last two years and the accomplishments you've made and how God has delivered this, um, has delivered you from this spirit because drugs are spirit and um you look back with a clear view of, of then and now. Was it worth it? Was the drug use worth it? Did it solve your problems? Did it you know, did it did it allow you to was it worth however long you were on drugs? Was it was it worth everything that happened to you? or the aftermath of it, was, was it worth it?
3: Honestly, yes. And the it reason was. why I say yes is not that it solved what I was going through, but the mm-hmm. journey that I've been on and the things that I've learned brought me to where I am and made me who I am. And wow. I can look at, I I worked for community, well, I worked for a place in in Phoenix where, I actually went through detox and I did peer support, which means I got to share my story and I got to help place people in rehabs and get them on the right track. And I feel that somebody out there, and I I know that it's happened before and it'll happen again, can benefit from what I went through. And if I didn't go through what I went through, then I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't change. I don't have regrets. I have, mm-hmm. I have heartache for the people that I hurt in my journey.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: But if so, if one person can walk away saying, if she can do it, I can do it. Then it was all worth it. It's all worth it. it it's th- this is my. God clearly has bigger plans for me that I'm still here. I've overdosed mm-hmm. one time in a the better part of 15 years of doing drugs. I, mm. I overdosed one time. I'm fairly healthy as far as, I mean, I, like, I have other issues that aren't drug-related, but as far as my, my drug use goes, I didn't do any permanent damage, which I am absolutely grateful for, and I feel oh, like that's God. a message that there's something else out there for me and i've wanted to be a case worker for since the first time i got clean which is a a therapist that specializes in drug and alcohol addiction mm-hmm. and i want to be able to help other people because like i said i know what it's like to go through somebody having been down your road
0: mm-hmm. and the
3: help that they gave versus somebody who's just reading out of a book so mm-hmm.
1: That's me. <laughs> Let me pause. Let's let's pause right here. We're gonna introduce Pastor. He's on the line. Uh Pastor, good evening. Good evening, sir. We uh we have uh Jen on the line. She uh is a two year plus recovering addict. Uh, so that's where we're at give you a, kind of a backstory.
0: And,
2: um, and I think that pastor, I don't know if you were on for, for how long you had heard, but I think that, you know, the husband and I were just listening to Jen tell her story, of her, state of mind when when she was using and and then um, looking backwards the question that I just asked her was was it worth it and uh, you know her answer kind of threw me for a loop because I thought she was going to say no but then when she said yes it was worth it it actually amazed me and it made so much sense and um, so that's what she was just saying that it was absolutely worth it because she's been delivered and via her ability to, to help others um mm-hmm. go through um their struggles and and come out triumphant is, is really commendable so
4: okay well first of all I wanna I wanna say I commend you, I congratulate you, I salute you, I honor you for first of all the courage, the bravery. Um of just being honest, because um, even the Bible says, you know, the the truth is what sets you free. And a lot of times we think that's just in spiritual realm, but truth is truth. And so her truth about her addiction, her truth about her uh, struggles, her truth about just her testimony, uh, I, I feel like person has helped a lot of people because I was blessed by hearing that. I, I, mm-hmm. So I thank you for that thank you. and. Second of all, I want to say to you, um, this is a plea for help. You know, I I am just one pastor, but there are pastors, all of us, we need you. We need you. Do you hear me? We need you desperately. There are people that will not hear us, number one, because we can't relate uh, to what they're talking about or what they're going through. Yes, we can give them Bible. Yes, we can show them love. But to say that I understand I've been there, I can't say it. So we need you. There are people that you can reach that uh, will turn a deaf ear to me. And I understand that. I understand it. So I want you to know that there is um, definitely a ministry for you in some way, shape, form, or fashion, you know, whether it's in the church or out of the church. People need to hear your truth because, again, once truth is, uh, released and received, um, you know, people people are set free. People are people feel better. You know, if if I'm an addict, and even if I'm not an addict, even here tonight with myself, I feel like, oh my God, if she can get off of what she was on, then surely this little thing that I'm dealing with, that's hope for me. So you you give people a, a lot of hope and. I am further impressed and blessed by the fact that the Bible says that all things work together for good. And, again, what you've gone through, um, I, I I can see how it can be a blessing. Because, number one, you'll find out who really loves you. Because when somebody mm-hmm. really loves you, if you're my sister, if you're my brother, if you're my niece, Really, if you're just another sister and brother, I should never give up on you. I should never give up on you. I may be get I may get frustrated by you, but I should never give up on you. Why? Because God never gave up on me. And this is my last thing, and I'm gonna shut up. Uh, and this and this this. Um, you know, we, you know, some kind of way we look down on God's forgive us, uh, people that are on drugs and things of that nature. But what we don't realize is in the eyesight of God, hear me clearly now, in the eyesight of God, there is no difference in what you did than me overeating. Because what we did was we both did damage to our body. We both went beyond where we should have gone. So, in other words, your drug of choice may have been, I didn't hear what it was, but let's say cocaine. If your drug of choice was cocaine, mine may be fried chicken. Now, will yours do more damage? In the short term, yes, but in the long term, you know what? Now, you know, I'm overweight. Now, you know, I've got chest pain. Now I'm having to um, uh, have surgery and all of those things. So a lot of times we look down on you, but we don't realize we're doing the same thing. We're addicted to fried chicken, Pepsi-Cola. We're addicted to gossip and lies. We're addicted to just people Mm. that look like us, smell like us, and sound like us. So you called a lot of us on the the carpet tonight, and my sister, I honor you for that. I really honor you, and on behalf of the the body of Christ, please forgive us. I've tried not to do it, but I'm going to add myself to it. Forgive us for overlooking you, forgetting you, and not loving you back to life.
0: Thank you.
1: Well, it's
0: <laughs>
1: wow. You're you're absolutely right, and for me, I, I needed some some clarification, some clarity, because my mom, my mom was was an addict, she's recovering, as far as I know. As last she told me, and from the outside looking in, it's like, you know, how did we get here? She says she started using drugs in nineteen eighty three. I was born in seventy nine. Maybe you've used drugs more than a lot of people have worked. Like you should have, you should be retired from using drugs. But I understand um that it's it's the pain that you're you're trying to numb yourself from. It's not so much as you're doing it out to spite your family like we said earlier, but you're doing it to help you cope or deal with whatever issue you have going on. Hers was uh, she lost a child before me to, to Sid's. Now, back in that time, you know, there wasn't counseling. People, especially in the black community, wasn't going to talk to a therapy, which I want to make clear. Talk to somebody. Talk to somebody so that you can get some help before you try to do it yourself, because we all know when we do it ourselves, we will mess up ten out of ten times so i'm 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 floored now, I have a lot of clarity, you know, and like pastor said i I'm looking at you from a different from a different light now I'm looking at addicts from a whole different light. Thank you. Thank you, Jim. It's
3: never our intention to hurt anybody. And I that I can speak on behalf of all addicts, I promise you, it was it's never a direct hit to you. As 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 hard as people go through things every day and yes, they get through without drinking or drugs or whatever it is that their vice may be. But when they feel, when a person feels that there's no way out, they shut down. And when they shut down, they shut everybody out.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're not
3: on the inside being targeted that this is your fault and I'm doing this because of you. And how dare you? It is we have pushed you so far away that you are not a factor in what we're doing right now. And that's just as bad. Wow. It's just as selfish. But unfortunately, it's the truth. You don't. You become irrelevant when it comes to us trying to save ourselves. Because, and like you said, it's if we try and do it ourselves, our best thinking is what got us right here. As addicts, our best idea, my best idea, landed me in jail, and at the wrong end of the needle. Um, it wasn't until I let other people take the wheel whether it be counselors, therapists, sponsors, God. It wasn't until I let them in on my plan and and we all worked on it together that I finally saw a way out that didn't involve not feeling. So... uh, again, it, that's where the amends comes in because there's only so many times you can say sorry.
1: hmm so. so, and, Pastor, um, biblical,
0: go ahead.
1: Pastor, from a biblical standpoint, is there any, um, I know no, not one is greater than other, but I know you, you're you a man of, of many great stories that you know, all of them in the Bible. Can you give me one that we can tie this all together?
4: Yeah, there, there's several stories uh, in the Bible about people that were dealing with um, uh, things and everyone just... Walked away from them They just forgot about them They talked about them They questioned them One of them is a story of a man named Job And he had His body was was eaten up with scales I mean he was was, I mean really in bad shape Um, Literally He had gotten to the point to where Things were so bad for him Until his own wife came to him And said look why don't you just curse God And die That's the best thing you can do His friends came to see him, lifelong friends came to see him. And when they came to see him, instead of talking to him, they sat there day after day after day looking at him, wouldn't touch him, really didn't even have anything to say to him. And, um, you know, the man just got, literally Joe just got to the point to where he was so upset, he started talking to God. And he asked God, you know, what's up with this? Why, Why am I dealing with this? And God literally, you know, had to kind of put him in check, and then we, when he and God got on one accord, God turned things around for him. There's another one where this man was literally in a cemetery, and everybody, including his family, forgot about him. Uh, literally, he was. Uh, they tried to bind him with chains, and he was under such a uh, uh, demonic spirit until he was breaking the chains, cutting himself. Nobody would have anything to do with it. And, you know, Jesus showed up and, you know, when he uh, finally showed up, Jesus showed him some love. And before you know it, he was freed also. And that's the one common thing about, you know, um, folk that we like to call um, uh, addicts or whatever is that I've never been one as as far as drugs are concerned. But, you know, it makes you – it just seems like they're so alone, you know, and I I hear – People, even in the church talk, I've had addicts, if you will, come to the church and ask for help to pay, you know, their rent or to pay whatever, whatever. And and in reality, they really are crying out for help. I have to check it out. So their rent really is due. The problem is, you know, if you put the money in their hand, then what they'll do is go and they'll feed the addiction. But uh, truth be told, you know, I've heard so many deacons and even preachers say, you know what? You've burned me one too many times. I'm sorry. I'll just be praying for you. But you just, that prayer doesn't fix everything. Prayer fixes people so people can fix the things. And listen, y'all, I'm going to say this tonight, and I, and I want y'all to understand what I'm about to say. I don't want you to think that I've lost my mind, but, you know, when it comes to, Addicts. When it comes to marriage, when it comes to relationships, please understand. Sometimes love is not enough. We need knowledge. We need wisdom. We need understanding. You know, I can say that I love my sister right there. I can love her, but until I learn how to help her, until I put it into action, it's just words. And so, yeah, there's so many places in the Bible where, you know, folk would just literally uh, forget about you. They would just leave you. Um, you know, um, uh, by yourself And unfortunately, uh, there's only just The Bible says, when I was in prison, you didn't come see me And we think prison is just a place with uh, iron bars But prison can be anything that has you confined Drug confines you, you know, it it does that And um, I don't think anybody started out their life on career day in elementary school and said, when I grow up, I want to be a drug addict. When I grow up, I want to be hooked on cocaine. I don't think anybody said that, but life can hit you so hard, so hard, until, you know, you're looking for a coping mechanism. And for me, you know, that's what turned me to God. But for a lot of people, it turns them away from God. But yet and still – you're still talking to a victory tonight. To hear this sister say what she's saying is, I mean, it's nothing short of a miracle. It is amazing to hear, you know, to hear her speak about, you know, her situation and her circumstance. And I pray that we will all learn something from it. I pray that we will. And I don't know what went first. I don't know if, you know, with alcohol, I don't know if your mind goes first or your body. I don't i don't know what goes First, I don't know what starts to leave you, but to hear her talk, and, and I don't know her, she's got a very strong mind. She has got a very strong mind. So, to God be the glory. I can't, I enjoy hearing you talk. Thank
2: you. Thank
1: you. So, now we're going we're to gonna kind of shift the blame a little bit here. From the from a pusher standpoint, it's it, it's a self it's very selfish of of us because we all know my background. To let me just get this money, let me just get it, regardless of how you got it, regardless of what you're going through. I'm not here to tell you that you shouldn't do this. Because you not doing this, is it benefiting me? And that's and that's that's very we are, we have blinders on, and I'm saying that to say as a pusher, and you probably <laughs> won't ever hear this again, or probably won't have never heard this, but I want to apologize. Right, on behalf of the pushes because sometimes I I when when I did my thing, I have standards. If you came to me and you and you had children around, nah. I'm not selling I don't say I didn't sell to women and I didn't sell to to kids. You you follow me? So I wanna to apologize to on behalf of those that sold to you. Instead of saying, nah, this ain't for you. Because they were blinded by their greed. They were blinded by, you know, what was in their selfishness. So I want to apologize on the behalf of the pushers.
3: Thank you.
0: But and I know it. It doesn't make do it right.
1: It doesn't. It doesn't make it. It doesn't make it right. No, it doesn't make it better. But it
3: doesn't. But what you have to not, understand too is, if it wasn't going to be you, it was going to be somebody else. We were going to find what we were looking for. You know.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. But if more, if more people took took the reins, took control, versus letting. Degree letting the money, being the flash control them instead of, you know, doing what's, what's morally right. I think that it, we wouldn't be in such a bad situation overall. Does that make sense Agreed. to y'all?
2: I can understand that.
1: So like the Mrs. when she was saying when she was young she started, you know, drinking because you know, it was around her she had access to it. If it wasn't for somebody giving it to her, she would have never been introduced to it. Luckily and prayerfully, It stopped right there versus it having the effects that it had on her seniors, parents, uncles, grandparents, so on and so forth. So sometimes we got to say enough is enough and the win is now for it to stop. I, I, I have a question
4: I have a question and I don't know Who can answer this for me um,
1: because, Not me Not me Yeah you're probably, <laughs> You
4: probably <laughs> Because here's the thing for for, for for whatever Reason you know As you're saying okay I want to apologize on behalf Of the pushers okay well First of all that's just funny to me and amazing to me at the same time because you're talking about that's kind of like an oxymoron, man. It's a pusher with a conscience. That's just that's awesome to me, I guess. But here's my question. When you started talking about apologizing uh, on behalf of the pushers, for just a brief moment I felt a sense of guilt. And let me tell you why. I don't know the proper definition for pusher when you said it. I was under the assumption that it was just anyone that sold drugs, but as you were talking, I began to feel like maybe a pusher need to, the definition need to be expanded to anyone that um, that's an enabler. In other words, you sold her the stuff, but if let's just say, for instance, at that di- at that time, uh, I don't know. I was her boyfriend. I'm cheating on her. I'm lying to her. I'm abusing her. I'm beating her in order for her to cope, could that not cause her to turn to drugs? I mean, in other words, there's more than just one type of pusher, I believe. You know, could it be that, you know, the trials of life pushed her to the edge? Could it be that mistreatment, um, being ignored? Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm asking, is that possible? And I'm asking the two yes. of you because, okay, what well, can you can you help me with that? I want to understand that. I, I'm I mean I'm serious. Listen, I got a chance to really help some people, and you're talking about to someone that's uh, you're talking to someone is, that. I mean, I really genuinely want to know what 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 drives you. What what could I do as your boyfriend, as your husband, as your family member that would drive you to to drugs?
3: Anything, anything that that causes a feeling that you don't want to feel. And then there's wow. also the enabling part of if you're, if I have unlimited access to your, say, bank account, I have your ATM mm-hmm. card, guess what? Mm-hmm. The next time we get into a fight and you cuss me out, the next time you hit me, you put hands on me, and I want to get high, I now have the wow. ability to do it. When wow. I was getting high... And I was, at my my very beginning, very beginning, I was still living with my parents. And I wasn't working because I was still recovering from my accident and everything else. And they gave me money left and right. And I didn't have to worry about doing anything. I got my money. I went and I, because I had gotten my lawsuit, and they had control over most of it. So I would get my money, and I would go, and I would do my thing. It wasn't until I got sober that they decided to do the tough love and not talk to me or help me or, or deal with me until I got my head straight, because that, that beginning part of you being on that emotional roller coaster, because everything that you've been pushing down for those however long you've been getting high is now coming to the surface. So if you hurt my feelings, I'm going to go get high. If you broke my heart, you lied to me, you, you mistreated me on any level, the first thought. Now, granted, you cannot control your first thought, but you can control everyone after that, and my first thought is always going to be to get high because that is the one thing I know that will take that pain away. Now, it's how I choose to deal with that thought is, is the real test of my sobriety or, or anybody's willpower, and I, I commend the people that can turn away from that before it becomes a problem. Um, because it's not easy. There's 1% of opiate addicts make it. 1%. That's it. Because we keep going back. It's the easy way out. So we can really get that selfish and that self, self, self-absorbed and make it to where anything can be taken as an enabling situation. So I mean, really, if there's no problem, then you, I mean you can't take, make something out of nothing. So if there's no problem, then there's no reason for me to get high. But the minute you start doing and acting, you know, acting like a fool, then I have I have a green light in my head. Wow, well, wow.
4: So do you do you at any point did you blame the pusher? Even right now, the stage of your life. Do you look back and I mean, do you have any hatred or animosity against the one that sold you the drugs or the one that pushed no, you?
3: No, absolutely. To that point? Not the one, the first person that ever got me to try heroin, I was tricked into doing it. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was a pill that somebody had crushed up because you know when it's in powder form, it hits you faster. It's still the same dosage, but it just hits you faster. I thought it was a pill. They told me it was a pill. Halfway through that line, they started laughing. It was funny to them, and I didn't even get the whole line down, and I passed out. Um, That person, yes, I absolutely have. It took me a very long time to get over that. As far as the dealers, I would get mad at you if you didn't sell me drugs drugs at the time because – I want what I want, and I want it now, and I'm going to find a way to get it, get it. Either you're going to make it easy for me and give it to me because I trust your product is not stepped on and cut with all this other garbage that I don't need in it, or you're going to make it difficult for me, and I have to go find it somewhere else now. So it, it, I've been blamed. I actually had one of my, one of my best friends died of a drug overdose and I was blamed for his death and I wasn't allowed at his waker's funeral. And for a long time, I believed that that was true. And it was hard. That actually kept me high for a very long time for years after that. And it wasn't until I finished my steps and I went back home and I made my amends to the family and the friends. And they said, this particular person was already using already wanted that and you were not going to stop him. You were just the easiest, fastest way to do it. He's a, this person was grown and can make his own decisions and it wasn't about the pusher. It wasn't about anything other than when you made up your mind as an addict, there is no stopping them and they are not going to stop until they see what is going on whether it's to themselves or to their family or whatever the case is. So the the dealer is not the, 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 the really the problem. I mean, yes, it can be looked at as, as selfish because you see somebody strung out or you know somebody that got clean and you know that you're their first stop. Say they've been in jail for you know, six years and they're, you know, thinking about getting high and you know that they've been clean this whole time and you give them that first dose, chances are they're going to overdose on that first dose because their tolerance is nowhere near what it was. That's a little selfish. But other than that, uh, it, it, it's really not the dealer's fault. It's it's the addict brain that isn't going to stop. Does that make
4: sense? It, made, it makes a lot of sense. I'm just um, everybody else needs to speak up because I'm literally conducting an interview here. Uh, this is um, I, this is amazing to me to have. I mean, I, I, everybody out there is listening online or whatever. You know, maybe you've you've had access to this, but for us to have access to this type of you know uh, information is. Mind-boggling to me. You're talking about someone that has, you know, gone to the other side and, you know, seen that and can speak from that perspective. But, you know, she also knows about deliverance. And to hear all of this is, um, you know, it's amazing to me that we have access to this and this can be shared with all of us. And for anybody that feels like their problem or their pain is beyond – Um, Repair Or whatever I mean you got your answer tonight You got your answer I wouldn't dare tell you that God is not um, um, Available to you He is And I believe God even more so now Because in her process I don't know the entire thing And I understand that she went through the steps And I have no problem with any of that But I still Will put my God up there and say He had to have a hand in it somewhere so I Absolutely. just thank God for for her for her openness for her honesty for this open forum like this and um, again I am learning so so much and I'm gonna ask one final question and I and I guess I'll just hang up and that way I won't go back on my <laughs> word but <laughs> my question is this um, because you're really helping me you 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 really help what what keeps you from um, uh, I'm going to use a word that my grandma used to use. What keeps you from having a setback? I guess that means a relapse. What what keeps you from going back to that world again?
3: Well, like I was saying before, it's knowing it's knowing what you can lose and what you have lost and just not being willing to give that up again. I, by the grace of God, because God is in the steps, and I, I was raised Irish Catholic, um, so mm-hmm. I have always had a relationship with god um and he is a very big part of my steps because that is who my higher power is the 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 higher power that i choose to call god um when by the grace of god i did not have everybody give up on me i had those few people that looked at me and said this is not you and we're going to get you back And for a long time, I thought it was impossible because I had done so much damage and I had caused so much pain and I left nothing but a path of destruction and ruin over 15 years of doing nothing but what I wanted to do because I was hurting. And when those people stood by me when I was sick and throwing up and strung out and jonesing, but couldn't go anywhere. They tried locking me in rooms. They spent money. They did all these things because they believed in me. I'm not willing to give that up because like I said before, I know if I go out again, I'm not coming back. You will always have another relapse. You are not always guaranteed another recovery. And when I first heard that, I was like, ah, eh, I can stop whenever I want it, You know, I, I gotta spend a week kicking. But this last time, because of how high my tolerance got, I won't make it if I go back out there. And I'm not willing to go back to that person. That person scares me. The things that I did, the things that I've seen, that I've experienced, the, the relationships I let go of, all for what? Ultimately, when you're, when you're a drug addict, it's like being in a bad, an abusive relationship. You spend all your time with that one thing or, or person, and they're abusing you, but they're telling you that everything's going to be okay when it's really not. So it's ultimately like I had a, I had a second chance. I had a few close people that looked at me and said that I was worth more than this. And because they believed it, it made me believe it i'm not a hundred percent there yet. I still have my my days where I flash back to things or i I hear things or I see things and and make and it throws me off, but like I said, you can't control your first thought you but you can control everyone after that so.
4: <clears throat> so so Mr. Quick, now for you sir um you said you were apologizing on behalf of the uh pushers, and I know that. You know, me and my heart, I know that that's in your previous world or whatever. But just speaking, speaking on behalf of the preachers, let me ask you, what keeps you from going back to that world? Let's say that part again. I'm sorry. I said, what keeps you from going back into that world? I know that when you were out there, you. I heard you mention that, you know, there the kids involved, you would not, you know, uh deal with them or whatever, but what what keeps you from going back to that world where you were, you know, I guess in a previous life 50 years ago or whatever it was, what keeps you from going back?
1: What keeps me from going back is um, everything, right? So now, like you said, I push with a conscience. I didn't have a conscience then, not the way it is now. That's what keep me from going back. I'm more concerned. I've identified what the problem is, and I'm more concerned with with rebuilding. I guess I'm kind of like a a, a, a a hood architect. I'm about to rebuild this, and I'm gonna do it the right way. And doing it, um, selling drugs, whatever, how much ever, that was doing nothing but destroying. And they have set us so far back in humanity, where it, it, there's no benefit. There's absolutely no benefit. You mm-hmm. lash the money, can't you? Can't really spend the money because well, not on anything that's worth having. You follow me? Like a retirement fund, like uh, stocks, like. Um, Four hundred one k you can't you can't take that money to the bank and and justify that amount of money.
0: Wow.
4: Okay, I'm I'm so I'm.
1: No, ask your questions, man. Ask your questions. Let's 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 get it out here, man. Let's let's make some
0: people nervous
4: so so how does how does listening to her tonight um, how do you think it makes current pushers feel do you think it uh grieves them do you think it how do you think it how would it make you feel if you were still out there doing that? would you look at her and say, "You know what I can't i mean is the money is it worth it to you, I heard her say that You know, I heard her answer To some of this, but is it worth it To the pusher To
1: I mean, is it, worth, is it really worth it? Is the money worth it? No, because, I mean Truthfully, what what are we doing with the money? What are we doing with it? <laughs> we, we have it, and the only thing we're doing is You know, flashing it And, and, and looking good for Someone who, who, who don't, you, you know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm trying to impress somebody who who don't have a pot to piss in. Mm. But I think it's more lasting if you saw me go out here and work and say, well, damn, I might not be able to sell drugs, but, but I damn sure so could go out here and get a job somewhere. Mm.
4: Are you uh, are you more pleased with her deliverance or your deliverance?
1: I'm 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 just as pleased. I think I'm more pleased with hers, uh, slightly more because there's a lot of there's more addicts than there are pushers, and with her story, with her testimony, she could touch and change many more lives than I can from a pusher standpoint. Wow.
0: Wow.
4: So my sister, are you willing to, are you comfortable speaking with, or I call it, you know, witnessing to, are are you comfortable talking to the pusher and the addict alike? I mean, what do you say to to both of them, the pusher in the attic. If they're on this line tonight, what do you say? To, what do you say to both
0: of them?
3: To the pushers that are still going,
0: mm-hmm. it's
3: not worth it. It's not because, like Quick said, um, it what are you really spending the money on? It, it there's there's so much that goes into pushing, and they're constantly looking over your shoulder and and you've got people that want to hurt you or the law that want, wants to take you down and you can't have a family and you really, you know, most pushers end up not having any other kind of job and they rely on this as their only source of income. So it kind of, and and the, the greed from the money turns them rather cold um, to where they don't care if if you're, overdosing on their product or, or whatever the, the case is. So my, my thought to them is that it, it's, it's, it's really not worth it. And, and again, I, I, I've been down that road myself and that was the least satisfying thing I, I I did. I was constantly taking the money and having to re-up and get more stuff. So how much money was I really making? Yeah. At the end of the night, it sure looked like a lot, but it was all going back into the pot. So and and not much was left on the side. It just didn't. It and I was always looking over my shoulder. I've been. I I remember one time arguing with somebody, and and they stabbed me, over the tiniest amount, and it was ridiculous. So it that that to me is it's just not worth it. Um, if you want any kind of substance in your life, anything worth holding on to, any kind of legacy that you want to leave, me, Anything, any mark you want to leave on this world—that is not it. <laughs> and to the addicts, R- yes. Please go ahead. To the addicts, um, just don't give up, because your day is going to come where you're going to snap out of it, and you're going to realize that this isn't what you want, because it's not. To to be able to feel, I my worst day. More, my, I'm sorry, my best day my best day high is nothing nothing my worst day sober is everything to be able to feel again to be able to have an emotional attachment to anything my dog my my friends my my family to i'm not a very mushy kind of person usually but when I do feel something, even though it can be awkward sometimes because I'm not used to it, it's something. And it's kind of amazing. So to deal with what I was running from, face it, it didn't seem so bad. And as, as scary. For years, I thought I was, I, there was no way I could handle it. And with the right people around you just to face it like it's nothing. So it'll get better. It it does get better and I promise you it can always be worse. So just mm. hang in there and don't give up.
0: Wow.
1: You know? Well there's somebody else who just joined the line. I don't know who it is. Hello? Hello. Okay. Well, let's continue. Pastor, I'm sure you have uh, some more questions. So yeah, you don't dude, I'm trying to, I'm
4: trying to help, man, and I'm, I know I'm, you know, bombarding, you know, you guys with a ton of questions. But there's two more people that that, that I, I want to try and help. Uh, tonight, I want to help the family of the addict and the family of the pusher. So you've got Monica. I think I heard her voice. Um, you know, how, how do you? What do you? What do you guys say to? You know, the wife and the family of the pusher and the addict. And then what do you say to? And I'm gonna just use me personally. The pastor. There's, there's. You know, that really genuinely is concerned? What, what, how? How do we love you? How do we hold on? You know, to help us, I mean, what can we do for you when you're going through what you're going through? I mean, do we stand back? Do we pray? Do we hold on? Do we, what do we do? What does a wife do? What does the family do? And, and what, does the, what does the pastor do? Help us, you guys, because I don't know. And I'm talking to the pusher in the attic. I'm talking to both of you. Well, um,
2: f- from, my, from my perspective, as the family of the addict, um, your role as pastor would be, one, first and foremost, obviously, to pray, um, two, just to be there. You know, when, when, we, when we were going through this with, with my brother. Okay, gosh, it's been quite some time, but um, let me think back here. He it had probably been a solid two and a half, three years before we even knew that he was a cocaine user. Okay, um, and you know maybe the signs were there, maybe they weren't, but. Um, before we actually knew for a fact that he was using, um, like we we couldn't tell because he he did smoke marijuana on a regular basis. So you know um, we couldn't tell if he was having something else or not. So that when we the the day that we found out or the time span that we found out, there were so many different emotions raging. And um, I remember myself having a conversation with him and saying, like, dude, like, what's, you know, what's going on? And, um, you know, he very evasive with with answering questions and obviously felt like he owed no one an explanation. But he would always say, I got it under control. I can stop whenever I want to stop. So y'all think that, you know, I'm an addict. That's not the case. I get high Cause I want to get high. This isn't and like the, um, like Jen said, this isn't about you. It's about me. This is what I want to do. You know? And I think that what we also learned is in trying to help him, we were coming at him from, from a perspective of, you know, look at what you're doing to one, you, your body. And, And at this time he had had, um, two children and to your children and, Um, Obviously, we're trying to throw ourselves in the mix because, you know, we knew he loved us, but he didn't at that point, it didn't register him that he loved us more than he loved getting high. And so we needed or should have had counsel or oversight to say or to pray with us so that we could have explored different avenues to approach him because we were failing miserably. And it was almost like every time we had a conversation or tried to have an intervention of any sort, we drove him closer and closer to it and further from us. So the whole experience was a learning experience. But for your role, I think just being canceled and doing exactly what we're doing right now, which is kind of trying to educate yourself um, one on the mind state of someone who is an addict, and then two on ways that um, the family can kind of approach the situation and help because the the first thing that and and again, I talked about my mom being an alcoholic, the first thing that she did was denouncing, you know, you're not my child, ain't no child of mine gonna be out here using cocaine, and you know I'm done, and you know because that was, that was her way of dealing with his addiction. Now, you know, forget about the fact that she had one, um, but that was the method that she used. And, again, that drove him further away. So I think that as a family, we need someone on the outside looking in, saying, you know, hey, I've had, you know, a little bit of education in this um Type of situation, and here's what I learned. Yeah, I have to
1: go um, ahead. I
2: guess I guess I need to an answer too, from the perspective of of a wife of a pusher, <laughs> or or prior life pusher, um, you know. Man, okay, so, you know, my brother also sold drugs in, you know, several different kinds um, before he became a user, and from, you know, I I wasn't with my husband in those days to be witness to his actions, but just um, living in a household where you know I saw different things happening with the drugs, or um, and saw how it affected people once they got it. Just knowing that you know my brother was a part of that, it it saddens me a little bit because I think as a as a dealer, you you ha- are selfish. Because you're thinking about whatever obligations you have to meet, um, or you're thinking about the money you want to make and you have no regards for someone else's life, or someone else's mother, or someone else's child. Um, so looking back on it, I'd say, you know, that my husband did the right thing in, in offering, you know, and putting the apology out there because when you're in it and you're benefiting from it, you you don't think of the impact to our community or to someone else's family or to people like Jen. Um, and, and the unfortunate part is some parts of them are grateful that they had a good product and people like Jen lived through it to tell her story. So, you know, I think that... Um, as As a dealer or as someone who has has witnessed both sides um you know it's no one wins and well when when the addict survives to tell a story and save lives, that's a win um but when when the dealer becomes the addict or the dealer gets locked up, and you know that That's not worth everything you lose
1: There you go Pastor Where you at now I know you sitting here with your wheels turning
4: <laughs> no, I'm here, man. I'm actually um documenting this. I'm I'm making some
0: uh some
4: notes because this is uh this is free uh, uh seminary training. This is this is this is, this
0: is
4: <laughs> I don't have to go to a classroom, you know, for this. I mean, in all honesty, you know, I want, you know, to be able to reach people where they are. And you know, I just believe there's some things that, when people are going through things, you know, um, I don't. I'm, I'll never be the one to go and say, like,
0: well, you know, when I
4: when I I do eulogies too often, and I don't I don't like doing eulogies. But um, one of the things I've learned never to say is, I understand how you feel. Okay, you just lost your mom, and I'm saying I understand how you feel. And my mom's sitting there. At the funeral, well, that 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 doesn't cut it. So, uh, you know, I, I try to be sensitive to, you know, the, the the verbiage that I use, and that's what I'm trying to do now, uh, with, um, you know, with 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 addicts. You know, I I just don't, I, I just don't, I just don't know how to relate, you know, to them. And this is such a blessing uh, to me, and it's so sad that. Uh, you know, apparently they feel bad. I guess they just feel isolated. I mean, I don't know that they feel like they can talk to anybody, you know? So I want to be able to talk to them. I want to be able uh, to go to the dealer and say, look, man, I can obviously tell you that God loves you, but, man, listen, there are people out there that um, need you to make another decision, you know? I know if they don't go to you, they can, they're going to go to somebody else, but you know, if you at least stop, you know um, that's one less that they have access to, and so I I want to hear this. I I'm interested, very very interested um, in this, and I don't make light of it because um, again, to have the courage to come on here and talk about this, I mean, man,
0: mm-hmm. do
4: you know this could be going out across the world, and you're sitting here and say you are somebody, you are you are something else, so. I'm trying not to just, again, control the whole thing, but I'm blessed. I'm just blessed tonight. This has been so good to be, you know, um, You because, know, again, there are families out there. There's wives out there. There's brothers out there that uh, need to know, what do I say? Do I say I love you? Uh, should I continue to be patient with you? Do you need to hear truth? And you need a good cussing out right now. What <laughs> what exactly do I I need to say to the pusher, what do I say to the addict, or whatever like that. So, I don't know, man. It's just um, a very good topic tonight, and uh, I am truly—I wish I'd gotten on uh, when you guys initially started, but um, it's probably best that I didn't because someone else would have had time to say something. So, I will shut up now. I, I think time. that it's
1: it's one of those it's one of those things where. We, as, as as a pussy There's always an excuse One of the excuses is Or justification You don't know, get it from me you're close. You follow me And that's That's the cloak that we're gonna gonna Hide under But in actuality You have control You know what I mean There's always If you know better there's always an end. Ends. Now, there's a few ends. You got prison, you got the cemetery, or you have to just stop. Because there's no 401k, like I said, there's no retirement. There's there's going to be a time where the push becomes that In fact, oftentimes the pushers are addicts. They're just not using the drugs. If that makes sense. Their habit or their addict, their addiction is to making the money.
2: You know, and I think that um, you know, from another perspective as well as as the family. Um, <laughs> I've never shared this with anybody, but you know, so when when my brother was going through his thing, um I for for some reason, you know, God would always reveal to me when he was in trouble. Like I would literally have a dream And the next morning, you know, or the next day, we would wake up to a phone call of of a car accident where he didn't make it home last night. And so God would always put those things in my spirit. So I knew exactly almost what I needed to pray for. The adverse effect to that is that I was always worrying. And I was always, like, you know, Jen said with her parents, looking at my phone and just waiting for that phone call. Um, while, I, while God revealed to me the specific prayers that I needed to send up for him, um, I was still deathly afraid that, you know, we were going to get that call and he wasn't going to make it. So, um, you know, there, there there, were times even when he, he was younger and, you know, going out with friends when he, I guess, when he first started tinkering or experiencing with drugs, They they dropped him off up the hill right beside a tree and he was, Passed out cold And we had to get him to the hospital Which was 32 miles away And um, to find out that he couldn't speak He couldn't say nothing So whatever it was he took Actually swole his throat up And like he could not speak For days And um, those types of incidents For family To to go through um, Once we come out on the end of it Obviously it's a testimony But while we're in there, you know, back in when I was growing up, we did have a pastor. We did go to church, but we didn't we didn't share these things with our pastor. You know, these were this was a family issue. We're not gonna bring, you know, like just pray for me is all we said. That's all we asked for because of the embarrassment or um, whatever reasons we didn't ask. And so these types of things takes such different toll on family and not saying that it's about us because I've learned tonight that, you know, an addict or being an addict has nothing to do with anyone else but but them, that that person. Um, But just for you, Pastor, just if you ever have the ability to hear a family share the drug addiction of a loved one, You know, I'd say you already have a leg up in the game because we didn't do that. You know, it wasn't talked about. We kept it to ourselves. And and the the car accidents where he could have died, should have died, and walked away from, um, it even got so bad where he he wrecked the car, should have been dead. The police, my family knew, the state trooper that found the car, and they were looking for his body and actually called And spoke to my aunt And you know And she said no he's here You know what's going on And they had to go And see for themselves That he actually made it home Um, These are times When You can intervene And kind of Share Jen's testimony And share you know knowledge From what you're learning tonight To be able to help these families And these addicts Kind of maneuver and transition Into recovery Of some sort
1: So in other words You got some free gain
0: Yeah
2: I mean You know I think this is the first step If you you know Because people Now you know now drug addictions They're more talked about you know people are more Open about it but you know back back then, it was almost like, and I know this can be a whole different story or a whole different topic, but but it was almost like incest or molestation in the family where you know it it they swept it under the rug, and um for shame, for reasons or whatever, they didn't talk about it, they didn't seek counsel, so you know, for you to even have the ability to know about drug addictions and and family suffering. From loved ones being on drugs and stuff like that's you know that's a blessing in itself because that didn't happen when I was younger.
1: Well, I know for for me, you know, when my mom do her thing, we had ideas, but we didn't know because one, she never did it around us. Now her actions said otherwise. You know I actually uh, overheard her from her mouth say that you know she started using when she started using uh not necessarily ear hustling but she was having a conversation and she had a very loud voice, so when she said it, it should almost knocked me down. I'm like, damn like eighty three like I was you know I was young um but be that as it may, like she said, there's no there's no conversation no more. You know, everything in the family was kept secretive, or we didn't talk about it like it was taboo, you know what I mean? Especially in the black community. there's, We're not having those conversations, as we should. Even to talk about the problems that have the users using, we're not talking about those things. If we did, maybe um, they wouldn't be using. Maybe they'll get some type of of counseling or or some uh, clear perception of what's ailing them, you know? Pastor, you got to write faster than that now. Jeez. (laughs) I'm with you man I'm, with, I'm
4: I am I am completely I am completely with you man this has just been um again good for me. I need you to understand that and I'm not feeling um sorry for myself. I don't deserve, deserve any sympathy but you know if I, I I feel really bad when I can't help somebody or at least point them uh, in the right direction, you know, walking off, just don't seem like that's enough. I mean, prayer is always appropriate, but sometimes, you know, you just just want to do, you know, something else. And I feel like with just a few tools that I've received tonight, at least I can carry on an intelligent conversation. And, you know, in that time that we're conversating, who's to say, man, you never know, you know, it may be time enough for God to, turn something or somebody around. So that's why I'm, you know, um, documenting and, 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 and doing all these things. Because, again, this is um, valuable, valuable um, information. And this is, this is people that I encounter all the time. I encounter them on a, uh, you know, a regular basis. And I've had some to just break down and cry and say, you know, do you think I want to do this? You know, and that that is a that's a heartbreak right there, you know that's a a real heartbreak, so I'm just blessed by it, and I'm glad to hear it from uh other perspectives. I'm glad to hear it uh hear all the apologies tonight to say, you know uh, I'm sorry to that I did what I did and I'm apologizing for all the pushers and all of that that is so awesome to hear, and I know this is not gonna heal everything, but I'm gonna say it like this this is I know that the majority of, you know, addicts oftentimes, uh, opiate users, whatever it was that I heard I say, they don't make it. I, I, I'm i aware of that, and my heart's broken because of that. But if 99 out of 100 died, but this one right here lived, you know what? I'm going to celebrate this one because the Bible tells me that one can – You know, put a thousand on the flight. In other words, one person can change a tremendous amount of lives. So I just believe that God kept you for a reason and for a season. I believe that God stopped you, Mr. Quick, for a reason and for a season. I just believe that. And I believe that, you know, uh, again, in what I do, the Bible said heaven rejoices over one that is saved. So if only. One person was blessed tonight. If only one person's life was turned around tonight. You know, this was a, a well-spent hour. So I, again, I am just so grateful. I do pray for the people that have families that have lost. You know, people to addictions and to pushing. But I celebrate all those that uh, somebody's going to come in and say, "You know what? I decided not to sell this anymore. Or, I decided not to use this anymore." Uh, and maybe that's the power of, um, you know, the power of this call. So I thank God for that. That's a blessing. So sometimes you can cry over what you lost, or you can celebrate the victories. And this is, uh, in my opinion, been a great victory tonight.
1: No, I definitely agree. Definitely. Well, tonight has been very uh very revealing uh, we've we've covered a lot, and there's so much more that I honestly believe we just really scratched the surface um, because just just right here on the line, you know there's only a few of us, and there's so many more out here and needs to hear. They need healing. They need help. They need prayer. They need someone to talk to. So if someone come to you, please don't, don't close the door. Talk with them. Have that conversation. Just in that simple conversation could stop them from going to get high. And if not long term, for that moment, that's a great start. That moment is a start. Um, so I think that we got to take the charge and stop talking as much, especially um, when condemning or judging versus identifying and listening. That's what I think we should do. And I think that would be the first step in order to kind of turn this thing around. So take accountability for yourself, regardless if you're the, the, the addict or you're the pusher, take accountability. You screwed up. And now let's move forward.
2: Well said.
1: So, if all hearts and minds are clear, Why wife, you have
2: anything? Like, uh, Pastor, I think that um, the, the call was... This information is very necessary Um, The call was very necessary And I think Jen's story Is long overdue You know, we need to hear More stories of deliverance You know, so often I think that people um, Because of judgment, people are afraid to share What they've been through um, Because they don't want to be judged and they don't want to go back But um, when you Look at it from a perspective of Your story isn't Just for you you know you're, you're going To save somebody else's life um, I, I Make the call or request That you know if you have a, An addiction that You've been delivered from You know call in and, and Share it when whenever we have The topic again because It you know it your story needs to be
1: heard and we will welcome all we will welcome definitely welcome those testimonies uh we will definitely welcome those uh perspectives and truthfully regardless of of the topic you know we, we can always take a break for good news you know so absolutely feel free feel free uh uh, Jen, do you have
3: anything? Um, actually, I wanted to say something to the pastor about helping addicts um, real quick. Um, to have an ear like yours, because I've heard this show before, um, and the way that you listen and, and the the input that you give and the sincerity behind it, goes a long way with somebody who's running from something my my mother would um once I the fir- after the first time I told her because of course I did what any addict did and I tried to lie and of course I'm not using or I only do it on the weekends I've only done it once or whatever but once I I told her the truth I went to her all the time to let one more thing off my chest or off my shoulders and yeah, there was always that, you don't know what I'm going through, and you don't know what I'm, you have no idea. And and how dare you try and, and pretend that you know. But when you come at me like, look, I have no idea what you're going through, but I'm here to listen, that goes a long way. Mm. And like I was saying before, it may not hit you the first time, but it breaks you down a little bit more each time to trust that they actually mean that because you see you get so many people that bullshit you excuse my language but they they just they're nosy or they're they're fishing for something or they they just don't really genuinely care what you're going through it's like they ask a question expecting you not to answer and 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 then when they do it's then they look at you like crap now I gotta to hear and listen. <laughs> but mm-hmm. when you have somebody that genuinely like lets you kind of vent, you don't even need to say anything. But like I know for I can only speak for myself when I talk out loud to somebody, I'm not just talking to have a conversation, I'm talking out what's in my head. So it kind of helps put things into perspective. It gets it out there. It gets it out into the universe, I guess. And and that that thought that you were holding in, that you were so afraid to let go of, it now loses its power because it's not just inside of you anymore. So mm. that that offer to be there, to listen, you think it doesn't do anything, but you're wrong. It does a lot more than you know. You just got to come at them like like how you approach a horse you put your hand out flat and you kind of ease into it. It's kind of the same thing with an addict. If you go at them too hard or or where they feel like they're being attacked, they're going to buck and they're going to hide and they're not going to talk and they're just gonna get defensive. But if you go at them like I'm an ear, and no, I don't know what you're going through, but I'd like to, you wanna sit down and talk about it? Eventually they will. Mm. Wow! So, thank you.
4: <laughs> no, no, that's I, I. I am, as someone told me earlier today, don't don't even insult me by saying thank you. You, you have no idea. This is, um, oh my God! This is, um, really, this is an answer prayer. I mean, just to hear this, and I'm talking, you know, it's one thing to hear it from a medical perspective or uh a substance abuse specialist I mean, they, they have a perspective that Obviously I don't know about But to hear it from Quote-unquote the horse's mouth To hear it from You know, the, the the ones that have gone through it Experienced it For me, that that's what is real I mean, don't tell me You know uh, God will make a way You just keep praying And I don't see any scars on your knees if you've never been on your knees, don't tell
0: don't talk to me
4: about this, you know. And so I I I value this information. Like everything else I can read it in a book, I can go to the seminar, but to get this on a in a phone call is is um you know, a conference call is, is absolutely amazing to me. So, um I am I am well pleased with, you know, everything that was said from the you know, from the pushers perspective. Uh, to the uh, addict's perspective, to the wife, to family member, I am, and I want to say also, and, and I promise you, I am going to shut up, I've lied about 12 times tonight, but I am going to shut up, I promise you this, but um, <laughs> I, I I just got to ask God to forgive me, because my prayer requests have been so, you know, and I know he can because he's concerned, but so minimal compared to someone on the line could have lost their life. You know, I just want my life to be a little more comfortable, you know, but I'm not dealing with the type of addiction that she was, so I want to say, you know, Lord, just forgive me for being somewhat selfish when there's other people out there that I can be praying for that really has a problem. You know, uh, I'm just somewhat convicted tonight, I guess you would say, so Uh, With that said, it is in the hands of Mr. Quick, and I'm not going to say another word unless Mr. Quick makes me say another word.
1: (laughs) Well, with that being said, if all hearts and minds are clear, Pastor, go ahead and pray (laughs) us out. But before you do so, we will be back on Tuesday. 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, as well as Thursday, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And this is From the Streets to the Pulpit. Pastor, please. Lord, we thank you so much for uh,
4: your presence on this line tonight. I I thank you so much for, for truth. I thank you so much for honesty and for openness I just thank you so much, God, for uh, I really believe with all of my heart, God, that there were more people that were helped tonight other than myself. I I don't want to be selfish, God, but I, I pray that this information has really touched somebody's heart. I pray that it has instructed someone to say, you know what, if nothing else, I can love them. I can be there. I can be patient. I may not be able to relate but I can be there. I can listen to them. They may not listen to me, but I can listen to them. And Lord, I want to do something tonight that a lot of people may feel find somewhat offensive, but I want to pray for the pusher tonight because the pusher still has a soul. The pusher still has life ahead of them. And I want to pray for them that they will, um, Lord God, develop even more so a conscience. I want for them to look at the damage that they, they're they doing. I know they realize, think that it's the drug that's doing the damage, but I, I want to pray for the pusher. I want to pray for them that they will understand that no amount of money is worth it when it com, uh, comes down to a life. I want to pray for that pusher that every time they get ready to make a transaction that they will realize, you know what, that's somebody's mother, that's somebody's sister, that's somebody's, you know, Cousin that's somebody that could have been Our next president it could have been our next Could have been the person that came up with The cure for cancer I pray God that they will Realize what they're doing The magnitude of what is being done And that they will Some kind of way God just walk away from it I pray also God that uh, For the addict right now God I feel guilty Even saying that word but I pray for them I pray God that they will Understand that their life is still worth living, that God still has a plan for their life. I pray that they will understand and value life itself, and that they will understand, God, that, you know what, I'm not going to waste another day. God, I pray that tonight, some kind of way, they heard this, and that they will know it was not an accident. This was ordained by God for you to hear. God sent this directly to you to remind you that he still loves you, He has not forgotten about you, and somebody understands. So I pray, God, that they will turn around before it's too late. I pray in the name of Jesus. I know it's asking for a miracle, but I'm asking, God, that you will just take the the taste out of their system for drugs and that you will give them another coping mechanism. I pray also, God, for families that they will understand that, you know what, God loves the attic and the pusher as much as he loves all of us. I pray for the church that will stop turning a blind eye and pretending that, you know what, uh, throwing money at the situation. I pray to the Lord that we can make our presence known. Finally, God, I pray for this call. I pray that it continue to be a blessing, a beacon, Lord God, in darkness. And that, Lord God, that somebody will listen and their lives will be changed. Thank you so much, God, for everybody on this line and for everybody listening. We give your name the praise, honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name I do pray.
1: Amen. 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 That concludes our show. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.